Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome, everyone, to All Elite Wrestling Unrestricted. Tony Schiavone and our co-host Aubrey Edwards. What's up? I wasn't going to say your name, but no, 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 no. We keep that. We keep that private. Aubrey, as you know, is, is one of our <laughs> one of our great referees here on All Elite Wrestling. Checks in the mail, Tony. That's right. This is the official AEW podcast, and our first guest is a man who needs no introduction, as the old cliche goes. Longtime close personal friend, and obviously. Someone said to me, one of the greatest commentators in pro wrestling. I'm going to say the greatest commentator ever in pro oh, wrestling. Stop. Yo, you're right. Jim Ross. Stop. JR, you're here. Good to see you, buddy. You're Good to see you guys. Fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations on your show. Thanks. A lot of going on, isn't it, yeah. in pro wrestling? It's a great time, isn't it? A lot of moving parts, my man. Yeah. you gotta, you got to keep up. Yeah, it, it's a great time. Uh, to be part of this, uh, and and Aubrey, I know you would agree. Um, yeah, I mean, we're like having a lot of fun. Right, like, that's the big thing, right? Like, right. it's nice to create an alternative, but also just having a blast, not really caring yeah. or giving a hell. It's good to be back on the road for me. And uh, well, it's a lighter schedule for someone like you, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, do, I come to work and do my work and go home. I don't know how you guys did it, but, like with six days a week or whatever. Going back to the office in in, in Titanland. Right. It was a never-ending journey. Sure. So people don't understand sometimes how challenging this business is when you're dealing with uh, alpha male-type men and women who, oh who are largely insecure, uh, who are always looking over their shoulder at their own professional mortality. And uh, it's just a tough business. There's no off-season. Everybody's got to regenerate their batteries from time to time. But in this business... You're challenged with that. It's like I was telling somebody the other day, I said, when we go on the road on TNT on Wednesday nights, there's going to be some soldiers fall by the wayside. There's so many weeks in, there's going to be a line of demarcation where people says, I just can't do it. Right. I can't leave mm-hmm. my family again once a week, every week. And I'm thinking. It's once a week. Yeah. Put your shit together. Right. <laughs> Well, actually, I agree with that. Well, we want to we want to talk about you and talk about your beginnings because I know that uh, that you were a referee and you grew yes. up. You grew up loving wrestling mm-hmm. uh, and, and talk about those days before uh, Jim Ross became Jim Ross on TV and became Jr. Well, I was the only child. We lived in a 160 acre farm in eastern Oklahoma in a four room concrete block home that had been formerly a dairy barn. All this is true now. So. It had four rooms, and none of those rooms had a toilet. So we had an outdoor toilet. Whoa. Until I was in the fourth grade. Hence, I didn't have a lot of sleepovers at my place. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> right. For a few years there. A little I wouldn't drought. Want to cover. Yeah. Well, I had a buddy in school who was like, hey, you can come over to my house, but you have to like, shit in a shack. Like, no. Yeah. I think when that lady does that commercial, the she shed. Yeah. I think the shit shed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the worst experience of my life was going in there take care of my business right. and turning and looking and seeing that I wasn't alone. Was it a bear? It was a snake. Oh, no. Uh, all coiled up looking at me like, one of us got to leave here. Like it's going to bite? I said, I'll leave. I'm out. <laughs> no, we're done. This is all your I ran this very it's fast uh, 
NFL-like uh, shuttle run right. with my pants around my ankles. <laughs> it was an awesome sight, I'm sure. But that's the nice thing about living on a 160-acre farm. You can do whatever the hell you want because there's nobody looking. Right. So then I, uh, but I love wrestling. If I had, if I had did my chores and my grades are good, and they always were, the old man would let me watch my two favorite shows mm-hmm. to show you how cultured my family was and I am to this very day. Right. Those two shows were pro wrestling mm-hmm. and roller derby. Hell yeah. Well, I was in, baby. I right. was in. Roller right. derby's great. Gimmick heaven. Right. Loved it. So, and I just followed that. And then I got to college at Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. It was an NAIA school at that time. They're division two or three now, whatever it may be. All those divisions confuse me uh, at my age. A lot of things confuse me. Mm-hmm. But we, we kind of got afoul of the the law, fraternity-wise. Oh. Yeah. So and, you were a problem in college. Yeah. I'm okay. not surprised to hear that I was very all. attitudinal and hard to manage. You were. Yes, oh. I was. And I still like am you challenging. You grew out of it, yeah. Well, I just got to another level of it where I got paid for being a, a prick. It's not a bad gig. Sweet. But we had to do a fundraiser. So the president of the fraternity and myself are both big wrestling geeks. And they used to advertise on the, on the wrestling show, you know, if your nonprofit group or organization wants to sponsor championship wrestling, mm-hmm. then send us a card. And, buy, you know, and then we'll, if it routes correctly, we'll get back in touch with you. So we did that. I swear I met Leroy McGurk and Bill Watts and the whole nine yards. So. And that's where I got my love of the business. He said, when you get out of college, kid, I got a job for you. It was for 150 bucks a week, all in. Uh, no insurance, no per diem, no gas money. Just straight cash. 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. So I paid those dues. And I did everything I could because all the little things you did, got, you get a little extra, more, extra money. If you're on the ring crew, you got a couple of bucks. If you're referee, right. you got a couple of bucks. Sure. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. announce, you got a couple of bucks. Oh, yeah. I put window posters in the, in the windows of towns, mm-hmm. promote spot shows, right. got a couple of bucks. So right. I did all the couple of bucks I could get my hands on. So it wasn't right. he was driven, you just wanted the money. Well, that, I mean, that's... Well, I had to eat. Right. Oh, that's true. That's, Those, true. that's, that's driven. If, that, if, if, my, if my making money to survive, and, uh, and I had a 17-year-old wife, who's not, she was seven, I mean, married, so she was very young, and we were both trying to learn how to be adults. Right. Both trying to learn how to be married, and I wasn't good at either one of those things. Gotcha. And uh, so, but that marriage did last seven years, but it it didn't survive the first run of wrestling. So how did you uh, first start behind the microphone? When did all, all that? I went. To, I, I drove uh, Mr. McGurk, who was totally blind, to Shreveport to do TV. And uh, when we got there, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts said, "I forgot that our that Reeser's off. Reeser Bowden was the, the announcer. He is on vacation, so they had nobody else. So hey, kid, this, you've been talking about doing this." He gave me a $100 bill. He said, go to Dillard's and buy a blue blazer, uh, a light blue shirt, and a red tie. They're not going to see your pants because you're going to be sitting at a table the whole deal. Right. So I went to Dillard's. I got me a, what he told me to get. I came back, showed it to him, and I was walking away to go to get dressed. And he said, hey, wait a minute. Where's my change? <laughs> <laughs> so for under 100 bucks, I got, a, I got my first TV attire, right? Right. But that's what I did. I did that. And, and because Mr. McGurk was blind, I had to be much more descriptive right. than I normally would if he had sight when we were working off the monitor. You know, I've always preached, you know, you got to work off the monitor because that's what the folks at home are seeing. That's right. You keep everybody connected. Right. So that uh, monitor was useless because he couldn't see the monitor or not a monitor. How do you end up doing commentary without being able to actually see anything? Well, he was a former wrestler. And he was a great NCAA champion. Uh, he was a NWA junior heavyweight champion when it meant a lot. Okay. 
So he understood the game. If I was, he has him a side headlock, a side headlock takeover, he could visualize exactly what a side headlock gotcha. takeover looked like. Gotcha. But it was an adventure, mm-hmm. especially when I didn't have any experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you obviously had the gift of it. You had to, you could talk. I mean, you obviously had, you've got the gift to gab. I, really a, I looked at it like, and now I look at it like it was a hot tag. Right. I said, this is my ticket to get my fat ass off this ring crew. Right. Or, get, or not having to do the refereeing. Right. You know, the, the money I was making, the good money I was making in the early going was promoting spot shows. Mm-hmm. I'd promote the shows. I'd do the box office settlement. I'd referee the matches. And I'd have a ring crew there to help me and the sponsor put the ring, take the ring up, put it up, take it down. That was money there. Yeah. So, I mean, like you make, so you're going from making $25 a night to maybe 150 Yeah. That's a lot of money right. yeah. uh, for an old country boy. Right. So, like, of of all the positions, like announcing was definitely that was no calling. Yeah, I think of my I think, I think my best work at the end of the day someday will be the, the talent that I signed mm-hmm. that went to WWE and have become m- millionaires. Yeah, because you movie were talent stars. relations for a bit, right? Yeah, for quite a while. Yeah, 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 a long time. Yeah, I was there twenty six years. And the majority of that, I was in charge of the talent relations. Right. And you know, negotiate all the contracts. You know, the good listener. You got to mm-hmm. be a good listener of those guys and gals. You find out that they're very insecure entertainers, and they and they're getting paid discretionary monies largely, and that also is an unsettling thing for some people because they don't understand that formula. Mm-hmm. But I I enjoyed that. I, I think that I think that's my greatest contribution, quite frankly, is the guys that I help facilitate to get in the in the game at that level, and then to see how they ran with the ball. Is there anyone that, in your opinion, was like the one that got away? Well. No, I, we we kind of got what we needed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about the Rock, and we're talking about yeah. Batista, and yeah. Cena. We had I had one signing class with our team that we signed Lesnar, Batista, Cena, Jesus, and uh, who else? Orton and Shelton Benjamin, who was mm-hmm. by far the best athlete of the group. But we signed those guys, and I I would predict that all of those guys will be in their Hall of Fame someday. Right. I mean, Batista's going in pretty soon. Yeah, he's next class. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So going back, how long were you with Mid-South before the deal with Crockett came about in the late 80s? How, how many years was, was oh, that for I, you? Over 10. 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. I went to work for Leroy and Bill in 1974. Okay. And I'm not sure what year the Crockett Watts buyout was, 86 or 7. It was 87, I believe. It was the first year that you started on TBS so, with yeah. us. Right. So that was that. And that was a big deal. That was a big thrill for me because one of the key impetus for me as a fan and somebody that just had a dying need or thought a need a desire to be in the wrestling business mm-hmm. tbs was my it was a open the door to a whole new world right mm-hmm. so i would we didn't have cable so i would drive the 30 miles one way to my cousin's house on saturdays mm-hmm. to watch wrestling right awesome and then stay there till the two-hour show was over right and drive drive back home another 30 miles right but that's how badly i wanted to be kept informed and see the product and experience it and all those things and it was an interesting show yeah well 605 on saturdays was the premier nationwide wrestling show in the 80s at that time I, absolutely yeah and uh, you know I've, I've told people this a lot you know that you were the unfortunate one that had to follow solely. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's hard. Yes, it to is. follow a legend like that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so by the time I got there, mm-hmm. you guys had already been doing your thing. Right. And it wasn't that, you know, right. we want Gordon type deal. Right, right. And it was, a, it was a smooth transition to bringing you in. I mean, it really was. And we had some good years. And, and then, of course, the sale of Crockett, and we started working for TBS. And Would you say that you two really clicked right out of the gate? 
pretty much. I, I think so. We had no personal agendas on it. We had, how right. do we get us over? Right, right. right. Here's how we get us over, kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Our job is to get the talent over. Right. That's what our job is today. Our job, our job, our job description has changed not one iota mm-hmm. since we met and since we worked together at the first class of champions. That's pretty right. neat. Yeah. Well, the job description doesn't change. Right. It I should, just guess I never thought of it that way. It shouldn't change for the wrestlers either. Right. Or the referees. Right. I mean, really, it's uh, we, we have certain responsibilities that come with our job. And, and when everybody starts realizing what those are and that we take a responsibility for our own stuff, then uh, the, the, all the business will get stronger and, and healthier. But right now, there's more guys making more money in wrestling than, than any time in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. So how can it be a bad time? How can the business be on a down cycle? It isn't. No. And we're just building our audience. And I think that uh, in AEW and people can start to keep, I, I run into people all the time that don't even know I'm back on the air. Yeah. So it's a process. Sure. And uh, that's why I don't live and die on the damn ratings. Right. You guys beat our ass 83 weeks in a row. And I still got to go to work. Mm-hmm. I still got to manage the roster. Yeah. I still got to talk guys off the ledge. Are we, are we going under? No, we're not going under. <laughs> right. But you were, you were a part of now moving past the, the TBS years and, and you went to the WWE, you were part of the, their greatest era, I think. And, 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 and I know the, the Hulkamania era in the 80s was a great era for yeah, them, right. too. But, yeah. the, but really, the, their biggest era was the, uh, the Attitude Era. I, I mean, thought. that's the one that everyone talks about. And right. like, I remember seeing, like, you see the D-Generation X, like, crotch chop, like, mm-hmm. on other forms of media. Like, guys are doing it as celebrations whenever right. they score touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It's like, that was such a huge part of wrestling, that era. It connected, emotionally connected with the audience. Yeah. Anytime an entertainer uh, of any ilk can connect with his or her audience, mm-hmm. the ticket buying, the record buying, the concert goer, whatever, then that's when the magic happens. Yeah. Who is my audience and how do I find them? That's marketing. It's not even to have 18 degrees and 17 meetings. Who is my audience and how do I reach them? Mm-hmm. The most efficient way and the most memorable way. So my message will stay with them over past uh, the next 30 seconds. So let me say this. What do you think we're doing well then? AEW? Yeah. Well, we're, we're introducing a lot of young guys that still are trying to figure out how to wrestle uh, in a main event level match on a national outlet like TNT. Mm-hmm. And it's not access television. This is not uh, some a cable thing. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I told guys that. I said, you don't realize that the opportunity you have. To become rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Let's cut to the chase. You Household be, names. You want to be rich and famous, don't you? Oh, hell yeah. Well, here's, a, here's your vehicle. Jump aboard and make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so, but a lot of these kids you can talk to in that vein, whereas in other companies that have more guys that are older and set in their ways, they sometimes get offended when you infer that they're not busting their ass. Interesting. And you, ain't, you haven't changed your game yet. Mm. Since you got that big deal, you haven't changed nothing. All right, coming up, we're going to be talking to JR about his journey to AEW, which is an interesting story in itself. JR, let's talk about how you got involved with AEW, like how this whole thing happened for you. Well, it, uh, as a lot of things in my life have, it happened over alcohol. It, it's funny. I haven't been in this business for very long, but I've learned that that's, that's a yeah. very, very big well, thing. It's a, it's a common denominator for a lot of guys. We're drinkers with the rest of the drinking Moscow mules now. Oh, uh, we were talking about that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had I a Mexican mule? Well, you personal. replaced the- <laughs> that, one trip to, that one trip to Tijuana. We don't talk yeah, about that. Okay. We don't talk about that. You replaced the vodka with tequila. Oh, okay. and I've heard you like peach vodka. No, pear. Pear. That's yeah. the one. 
Started with a P. Yeah. It was close. Pair, pair of meals are really good. Yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. I'm going to have to try that. So I didn't start drinking again until I made it to start working with him again. So Yeah. Dick Buck is doing the same thing. I was smoking and drinking Crown Royal, and he, so he started smoking again and drinking my Crown Royal. So we'd go through a half a pint. Oh, boy. More often than not before we would broadcast uh-huh. football. He, he was my partner in the XFL for a while. Right. Then they added Dan Hampton to us. Right. And it only got worse. We just bought a bigger <laughs> bottle of Crown Royal. The three of us are, you know, we're, 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 at the, we're in the B game of the XFL. So, right. okay, we'll do our best. <laughs> what was your question? <laughs> How did you get into AEW? Oh. Start well, over alcohol. Right, right. Yeah, the alcohol. Yeah. Uh, I, was in, uh, I was in Long Beach, California, working for Access TV. Okay. Uh, calling New Japan matches. On tape, voiceover, which is really a detriment to their product, quite frankly, but that's the hand we were dealt. But we had a live shows to call as well, a few live shows, and we had a weekend, a doubleheader weekend in uh, Long Beach. Mm-hmm. We stayed at, this, at a hotel where the, the company put us up at the same place that Tony Khan and Alex Marvez are staying. Ooh. So uh, that's where I met uh, Alex I had known for a long time. Right. Alex knows everybody. I've, I've started to pick that up a oh, little bit. Yes, he does. And if he doesn't, he'll just no I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> he'll tell you he does. He's <laughs> a good. He's, he's a good. He, but yeah, Alex was very right? instrumental in me being here. So he introduced me to Tony, and we we kind of partied over the weekend, and we'd talk a little bit about wrestling and strategic what I would do, and if I did this, and if you know, I wouldn't want to do that if I owned a company type deal. Just shooting a breeze, right? Just that's all. Yeah. But I had no idea that somewhere in his very able mind that Tony was already thinking about something like AEW. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, when was this again, timeline-wise? It was uh, three years ago. Three years ago, okay. About that. Yeah, sounds right. about right. Because I think Tony's been talking about doing something like this for a long time. It's just the oh, timing Oh, sure. He's been fantasizing about being a promoter or, He's been or writing, booker or whatever yeah, right? writing, since he was a little kid. Right. Yeah. yeah he, he, that, that was his hobby, writing yeah. wrestling TV shows. I've coached the Oklahoma Center for like 60 years now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody does that for the right. living room armchair. Right. I mean, right. you know, no, I, I get it. Yeah. So that's the same deal. So, right. So we became friends and, and uh, kept in touch. And then the decision was made. That he said, you know, we're going into business and I want you to be here. So I don't know if I was the first. I don't know if I was the first person hired. I can tell you I was one of the first five hired. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was good because he wanted me to be the at least a voice of his brand at that time. Right. And then, you know, then we were lucky enough to be able to add Tony. And uh, and Excalibur is doing a great job. I'm not. I I know he's. Uh, to me, it's daunting to work with a mask on. So yes. It would be for me. Right. I, I'm just. Uh, uh, but he's really smart, and he's right. he's got great familiarity with a lot of the talents that I don't. Right. I don't know if you Tony does. He, right. he has like an encyclopedic knowledge of every single wrestling move yeah. and what it's called and who right. does it and right. all these sort of things. And yeah. he's, he's been doing that for years. Like right. I've watched a lot of his. Uh, but he had to learn also how how do I translate my game from Access TV, right, like a cable channel th- type deal, to a major network like TNT, mm-hmm. and it, it's same for the talent. So I think that's kind of what we've all been helping each other is how to adapt to being on a major outlet, a major mm-hmm. network in prime time, mm-hmm. doing a live television. There's no net. No. There's no do overs. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> so and and I, to me, that's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do that's it. That's right. Live TV, is, live TV is the way to do it. It's the way to go. So, Absolutely. Uh, but that's that was the deal. I met Tony. I, he came to watch Ninja Fan Pro Wrestling. Right. And 
he and Alex are hanging out and buddy weekend and right. So that was how well, it started. It was a smart hire. I mean, realistically, I, I know you don't like to blow your own horn, so I'm going to blow it for you to get you on board. Really put AEW in a national spotlight. That well, you were going to be doing the the commentary, you'd be doing the, the you'd be the lead announcer. I hope it helped. Yeah, well, it you know, did. I think it did. Yeah. I think it adds a lot of legitimacy. Yeah, and that's why I knew because of my previous life, I'm a big believer that your narrator, your soundtrack, is important. Mm-hmm. And it was not always that way in WWE, and so I, and I and I always thought that was kind of stupid because how can you downplay your your broadcasters? In a television entity, mm-hmm. think about what I just said. It's, it's like that would make no sense, would it? No, don't make any sense. No, none. So uh, I think that uh, coming to work for Tony, when we started talking, you know, he was. I want you to be you, sure, for better or for worse. And I'm not perfect, and I'm going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of them, but I'm having a great time. I think that's kind of the uniform thing that Tony basically tells everybody at AEW is like, just be yourself. Yeah. Uh, I know, like, I've seen him in, like, the post-show pressers and whatnot where he's like, our people have personalities because they're people with personalities, so Mm -hmm. why not hide that? And that's one of the things that I personally love about AEW. So I like that we get the freedom to kind of do what we want to do. I like the fact that we don't have writers that tell everybody what to say. Oh, yeah, it's great. And everyone's kind of throwing ideas around to each other. Like, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Let's do this. Like, I see it all the time backstage. People are just chit-chatting about what we can do to, like, make the product better and make all of ourselves better, get our characters over and whatnot. No one should be more committed to their skill than these wrestlers. Exactly. They're going to make the most money. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you're not invested in it, the fans aren't going to be invested. They see through it. Exactly. They're smart. See through it. They see through disingenuity. Mm-hmm. That's again why the, the promos that we've had recently have been excellent mm-hmm. because it came from the heart and the creativity of the talent presenting it. Yes, and that's different than say, "Here's your promo." Now, uh, become a Shakespearean actor or actress and go <laughs> yeah. memorize your lines that we're going to rec- we're going to do tonight live in the ring. That's well, a completely different thing to ask some of these people. Well, think about that system. Think about it. Okay, you want me to read your, you want to interpret your creative uh, and memorize it, right? To do, to be able to deliver tonight, and I just saw that we didn't no rehearsals, no time to memorize. Here we go. I get it now. That's not a good system. No. But if you give somebody bullet points, then their natural instincts just start coming into play. Right. Use what they were hired for, and it's the same thing with, with us. Tony Khan's not in our ear. No one's in our ear to no. tell us what oh, to Tony say. Tony Khan's not in your ear. No, no. He's, <laughs> he's that, in my ear all good, the time. <laughs> good. But no, he's not in our ear to tell us what to say because he's letting JR be JR. Hmm. He's letting you be who he hired you to be. That's yeah, interesting. Right. I had no idea. All of yeah. us. Right. He, he, he lets, we all got free, free reign to do what we believe is right. 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 If Tony believes he hired the right guys, then why not be a good manager and let them do their job? Because here's the deal. The day that we collectively or individually drop the ball and we fumble enough times in the old red zone, mm-hmm. somebody's ass is gone. Right. I get that. And that's accountability. And some people are deathly afraid of accountability because yes. they've never had to be accountable. Well, and, and conflict and negativity. Like, everything's great when it's all hunky-dory and we're all having a good time. But yeah. the moment shit hits the fan, like... And, 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 our, and the shit will hit our fan. Yeah, it will. Sure it will. It will. And, sure then, will. and then we'll find out who are soldiers mm-hmm. who want to come out of the tent and who wants to go hide. Yeah. Right. 
Great business plan, though, don't you think, for, for AEW? And, uh, I mean, there's so many moving parts. We've got people in Jacksonville. I'm in Atlanta. And we, we do some production in Atlanta. I'm in Seattle, like You're far away Seattle, from everybody. And, but I'm she, hiding from all you still work in the front office. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not like we've got a, a, a base. Right. But a lot of moving parts. That's but unique. I think it's, it's, it's very unique. Yeah. It's unique. But the, uh, I like the fact that we're trying to build that TV audience. And that's what's going to build our live event audience. Mm-hmm which is also going to help build our merchandise sales. Yeah, buddy. So all that stuff works once the TV show gets established to some degree. And, you know, we get that. We need to be hitting a million viewers. Sure. And, and more and, and keep adding. Uh, but we will. Sure. I, I like believe I said, we will. Yeah. It's a marathon, right? Hey, I walked through the airport with this hat on and it could be a real blessing or a curse. Okay. Right. But it's, I don't mind. I'm still a fan. I'll, I'll take a million selfies. No problem. But it's sad to me that when, when somebody looks at me and says, JR, when are you going to get back on television? Right. Yeah. Well, I am on television every Wednesday night on TNT at 7 o'clock Central Time. Right. But they didn't know. Right. The words get, it has to get around. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's a process. And, and there's a lot of damn wrestling on television. Oh, I know. But I, don't, I really believe the individuality that we have, the young, the youth, and the athleticism. There's a freshness here of a kid working on an indie show making 40 or 50 or $100 to getting on national television and raising their game because they thought all along that their game was good enough. Then they get here and they find out, well, my game really wasn't, isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. I've got to continue to get better at what mm-hmm. I do for a living. And the channel we're on means a lot too, don't you think? Because of, oh, yeah. of I mean, there, there's, like you said, there's a lot of wrestling on TV, but being on TNT. Well, there's history there. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. Natural history. Sure. Uh, and, and TNT has the NBA. Right. Which is, I, I spend a lot of time watching TNT during in basketball season mm-hmm. because I enjoy uh, the, the pregame show and the halftime stuff. The spectacle of it. Well, the, yeah, those are Ernie Johnson's The entertainment group. value. Yeah, they're yeah, amazing yeah. and they're entertaining. Right. They're better than any NFL pregame or postgame team by far. Right. Because they, they give you information, they give you an opinion. Whether you like it or not, you get an opinion, and that's kind of what we do on AEW. Mm-hmm. You opinionated, and I'm opinionated. Someone says, "Well, I, I can't believe you're just you're talking about uh, you know uh, our little female champion, uh, Riho, Riho, weighing 98 pounds. You're trying to kill her. What? I got a sheet, asshole. <laughs> it says 98 pounds on it. <laughs> right. What do you mean to do? It's right. accurate. You give right? her a couple of pounds. Oh, she's a hundred pounder now. <laughs> she had a great Thanksgiving in, in Tokyo. <laughs> So the so whatever it's it's like sometimes you can't win but nonetheless uh, we're in a good spot yeah we, we got the Chris Jericho continues to reinvent himself oh it's insane and he he's on top of his game and here's the thing about that folks you can here's how that works in the same vein of thought where we don't have writers to tell the wrestlers what to say in a given scenario we don't Jericho can come create his own handle his own creative absolutely he can be himself and i think that's a uh, something that he has not been able to have that freedom maybe a little bit in new japan when he had his run over there right but by and large the guys domestically in the pro wrestling business haven't had that luxury of creating their own content well yeah. and if that's like what made you like why not continue doing what's successful well that sounds logical but sometimes yeah. the decision makers in wrestling aren't Aren't logical. Aren't logical. No. no exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's been a lot. Uh, we've talked about JR in the wrestling business. I want to talk a little bit about what you got coming up and some of the things that you've done that's been outside the wrestling business. Well, uh, you know, uh, I appreciate you. Tony sent out a tweet. I, 
I gave him the manuscript of my last, this next book called Under the Black Hat. And it's a continuation of my autobiography, which was Slobberknocker. Right. Mm-hmm. My life in Rashlin. Uh, Rashlin. It really covers some drastic things. It's almost too dark at times. Right. But when you talk about being fired and getting sick and mm-hmm. having facial paralysis as a TV broadcaster, right. and then your wife, get your best friend, your mm-hmm. wife getting killed right. 30 seconds from your garage right. for no reason. Yeah. Well, it's like life isn't always sunshine and rainbows, right? I think that's what makes interesting stories and interesting well, people. Hold, hold that thought. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the AEW podcast, AEW Unrestricted. Yeah. AEW Unrestricted, the official AEW podcast. JR, you were just talking about your new book that's coming out in March, continuation of your previous autobiography. It's uh, the hardest thing I've done because I, I wrote about uh, the era of going through, you know, the, the, the Attitude Era, the 83-week stuff, getting Bell's palsy, and then getting it again, and then getting it again. Uh, I kept getting knocked down, and I kind of go through that story. But it's hard to try to relive all that. Right. They weren't happy days. No. And, uh, and I had a great partner that if I had not have had her, I would have probably gone to hell in a handbasket. Right. It's just I didn't have the, I don't know if I had the character integrity to maintain the decorum that I should uh, have uh, if without her. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand the hand I was being dealt time and time again. And then the issues at work that became ribs on the square, as they say. That's the great thing about pro wrestling or the sad part about it, one of the two is that you can talk to some old-timer in wrestling, and they can really bust your balls if they want to. Then mm-hmm. you can take exception to it. They say, brother, I don't have to work in you. Right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. That's their out on everything. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, one of my favorites is one of my favorite wrestlers. He would say something, and it would be hurtful, and you'd say, God dang, loosen up, pal. And he says, mmm. I was only teasing. Right. Bullshit, you weren't teasing. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're just right. an asshole. Yeah. Right, so, exactly. Anyway, anyway uh, so I wrote about the, those situations and the challenges it made because the TV landscape kept changing. The requirements for announcers kept changing to more the guys that look like me, older guys, with a southern accent, mm-hmm. uh, especially that can't smile. They ain't no big demand for us. So there's always then that you go to work with your little lunch pail in your hand, kind of worried that I wonder how long this, I'm going to need this lunch pail. And sooner, it all catches up with all of us at some point in time. Uh, you know, uh, Vin Scully broadcast Dodger games so he's in his 80s. Right. If I said right now I want to broadcast wrestling for AEW until my 80s, mm-hmm. some of the younger fans want me to go away and hibernate. Right. Or just probably vomiting right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all right. Yeah, well, there's well, always fans on the Internet that are vomiting about something. Yeah, they are. I can't ever keep can't little vomiters. <laughs> oh, damn it. Damn it to vomit. Oh, I like damn. a vomiter. So, uh, you know. <laughs> So, that, but then I talk about moving from Raw to SmackDown it was a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had ownership of Smack of Raw because mm-hmm. I was sitting in that chair for all those years through very challenging, lean times into the good days mm-hmm. where the company went public with a hundred sixty million dollar IPO, and they did it with talents that I brought in. Mm-hmm. So I felt very proud about that. It's, uh, it's an investment on your part. And and I talk about those recruits and signing and what it meant and what it's meant long term to, to their company. But I'm, I, I haven't been as happy since the Attitude Era as I am now. Mm-hmm. Now's the best time Yay. of my, of my well, I love it. Sure. I we're really having a, do. We're having a great time. I, uh, you mentioned that I was able to read the first manuscript of the book. And, and I've told you this personally that I don't know how you did it. 
I mean, uh, there was a, there was a lot of things that I mean, the the angle with Michael Cole and and mm-hmm. the, the funny made of you and your in your operation. Mm-hmm. I, I went back and watched all that recently because I hadn't watched it. Yeah. And and I just I, I, pulled, I, I pulled my head out of my ass. Pulling your head out of your ass. Now, you know what? Here's the thing about that deal. They say that that was that was just business. It was in the last segment of Monday Night Raw. Right. The last segment of Monday Night Raw had always been reserved for the big time players. That's right. Mm. Austin. Right. Rock. Undertaker. Right. Sean. Mm-hmm. All these cats. That was they all they all, the first thing you look at when they come to TV. Yeah. Who's in who's t- in the segment eleven? Well, they want whoever's going to be remembered by the fans, right? Because you want them to come back. It's cross over the hour. People right, change right. the channels. Right. To ten after. It's a good deal. Right. So it was a, a kind of a self fulfilling prophecy type deal that. I know you're screwing with me because mm-hmm. why would you put this segment of actually pulling a mannequin head that looks like me, right, or roughly looks like me, mm-hmm. out of my own ass? Right. That's not funny. No, no. that's not. The only thing that laugh about things like that are the sycophants mm-hmm. that feel the urge to be in in uh, in Vince's uh, world, right? And they don't understand that he he sees through a lot of that stuff. He'd rather you be in his world because you earn more money for the company. Therefore, more for yourself. Mm-hmm. That drives everything. Yeah. So I, I just thought that it was a little personal. I know that I just got home from the hospital for my surgery, in intensive care for eight days. Right. And uh, my little wife, God bless her, was was crying when, mm-hmm. I, when we, I was on a morphine thing, so I didn't even see it happen live. Right. But when I woke up, she started trying to explain it and started crying. Yeah. And I thought, this he must have really hit a new low here. Yeah. Well, he did. So uh, I, I mean, he really did. And I, I again, uh, sometimes you can love something so much it's not good for you. Right. I've loved pro wrestling much in my entire life. We talked about that. If I make good grades, you get to watch wrestling and roller derby, kid. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Dad. But boy, this uh, the, the tribulations of being—it's like being with a woman that you love but doesn't love you. Right. Mm. And that's tough. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or vice versa. Right. You know, uh, so that was kind of how I looked at the wrestling business. But now my, I haven't had a, as this as good a relationship in our business as I have now in years. Like that, I said. It makes me so happy to hear. The, the great thing about my run here, I had a good run with Cowboy. We made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Made some money for Turner. But we both there at the same time. Yes, we were. Same contract. Mm-hmm. I'll tell them that story about our negotiation with Jack Peter Sunday, won't we? Yes, we will. It's one of the great negotiation <laughs> stories of all time. Oh, boy. Yeah, Jim oh. Jim negotiated my my first contract. Really? Yes, he did. I, I, I got. Well, uh, I had too much coffee that morning. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, God. I think they agreed to our terms just to get me to shut the hell up. Right. I really believe that. Right. Shut the hell up. Right. We're going to do the deal. Stop. We right. got you got your deal. Right. So it was great. And yeah. I was sitting in the, in the I was sitting in the meeting thinking, I better say something about myself to sell myself. <laughs> nah. But then I then I think he's on a freaking roll. Let him go, man. Dude, when when I need to renew my contract, I'm just gonna have JR come with me. You should because I that, that, that <laughs> I need you to talk to this man right here. When I got home that day I told Lois, Lois how to go. I said, That's great. We're gonna make more money we've ever made, thanks to Jim Ross. <laughs> well, well, we earned it. We deserved we, it. Yeah, we really well, did. Well here's the deal. We were getting our ratings are as good as uh at times, as the, as the Braves, mm-hmm. and we did as good as some uh, random SEC games that you know they right. were a hot game. The right. National did get them, then you know, so sometimes you, we did better ratings than those guys. Sure, and I knew that we weren't making the kind of money they were making, or even close. No, that's no, right. No, no, we weren't. So those announcers. So I, we 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 did all right there, and I yeah. think that helped us because at that point you're not going to go down. 
No. On your income, right? No. I mean, no. We kind of set the benchmark there, is what I'm saying. That's right. And that number helped me get a good number with Vince. Sure. In 93. Right. So it was a, it was an interesting move. We backed into that deal, quite yeah. frankly. Uh, but, right place, right time. Yeah. Right person in, in our negotiations, <laughs> Right amount of coffee. Too. Right amount of coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Too much coffee. Yeah. Uh, you also have another podcast, uh, Grilling JR, with yeah. our buddy Conrad Thompson. The Podfather. How's, how's that been going for you? It's, it's we're the cheap. largest tag team in the history of podcasting. <laughs> Conrad and I. Right. I told you the other day, I said, we're like the goddamn uh, McGuire twins of podcasting. <laughs> Billy and Benny. One with 660, one with 640. Right. And I actually booked oh, them and refereed their matches right. back in the day. Right. You've been involved in movies, too. You were in uh, the Andy Kaufman movie. Yeah. 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 How was that experience for you? Good. I felt bad for Lance Russell going into it because I basically played Lance, and he was right. there as a ring announcer. He did both jobs. At right. Memphis. He did the ring announcing and the commentary. Right. One of the finest gentlemen I've ever met in the history nope, of wrestling. No question. I agree. What a wonderful man. Yes. And uh, so, but he and his wife, Audrey, were out there with Jan and me, and they, we had a great hotel, all the good, all, we'd say, treat us like kings. Yeah. Milos Foreman was a first-class director, Oscar winner. Right. And so what we do, we go out there to do the scene in the Olympic Auditorium, and uh, it's full of folks, extras, right. that they got to feed now, right? Mm -hmm. So they're on a little bit of a schedule. They don't want to feed them two meals. Right. They want to feed them one meal. Right. right. All right. So here's the, so it's kind of a gun to our heads. So we do this uh, scene where uh, it's uh, Lawler mm -hmm. and Kaufman entrances, and I have this little script. So I memorized my lines. It's just very basic stuff. But they underwrote the scene, and I had I, I had no more lines. And Foreman was he is eating the ass of the writers. He's hot because now they got to keep all these hundreds and hundreds of people over to feed them again. Right. Bad budgeting. Nope. So I says to I started to say, Mr. Foreman, this little jerk uh, assistant guy, I was trying to get him to be quiet because Milos is talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, Mr. Foreman, I think I can solve this problem. I can ad lib that whole scene. That's what I do for a living every Monday night. Yeah. So if you will, look, if I, is it worth a try to not have to feed these people again? Hell yes, it's worth a try. Well, so they so... re-racked it, and I knocked that so much out in one take. I right. feel like you when know, you tell somebody, like, I'm going to save you a bunch of money if you just let me do this thing, you're going to get to do that Well, thing. he loved it. So yeah. he loved it so much. Mm -hmm. Big hugs, you know, all that stuff. So I said, I want to bring you back because I'm going to rewrite a scene and put you back into a scene. First, man, I get a little more, more, yeah. Heat, more, yeah, 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 right? yeah. and more screen time. So they, they brought me back to a little sound studio, same clothes, same people around me, and I did a uh, uh, some commentary that they could do cutaways of mm -hmm. during that scene that I just did right. a few days before. Right. So I got a few more bucks out of it. Right. It's fun experience. Yeah. Uh, Jim Carrey was an idiot. Yeah, that's what I understand. Oh yeah, yeah. He stayed in character. Right. He was Andy. He yes. was. He was who he thought Andy Kaufman was. Right. Not knowing that Andy Kaufman was a very soft-spoken, well-mannered, genteel guy. Right. And nothing like the like, presentation that uh, he was uh, presented with in that movie. Right. So, uh, but it was a fun experience. It was, yeah. a, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I I go when I sit back on cable, I try to watch some of it because yeah. I know. I know that uh, it was a great time for Jan. Mm -hmm. She got to go to two premieres. I only got to go to one of them because I had to do Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. Lawler went to both of them. Right. So I stayed back and man the fort. Any other movies in your future here? Yeah. I got a, I got one. It's uh, called Paradise. Uh, Thunder in Paradise? <laughs> uh, Sorry. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the remake. The remake. I'm playing the car. <laughs> 
a talking car. Right. It's a new concept. <laughs> I haven't seen in years. Uh, I, yeah, I got a movie with Ash Avelson, who's with Summerlin Records. And uh, I did one with him and a, a little art type film. And uh, then this next one, I got a bigger role. And I, I'll have to get back to you on that so you can plug it. Okay. But it's, uh, it's being edited. Good. And I did it in L.A. about a, three or four months ago, a couple over a couple of days. And that's the nice thing about those guys. They, they're they big wrestling fans. Ash is a friend. Ash is who I'm partnering with on the book called Millie. I bought the rights to a book uh, called uh, The Mildred Burke Story, mm-hmm. uh, Queen of the Ring. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing book. Right. Jeff Lean, who's an investigative reporter for The Washington Post, wrote it. Right. All this documentable stuff. It's really deep, deep. It's not about headlocks. It's about life mm-hmm. and being a five feet foot female in a land of men mm-hmm. who treat her like dog doo doo. Right. And so we're going to do a movie called Millie, the Mildred Burke story. And Ash is writing that. So he put me in this little, give me a little role in this movie. So, oh, that'd be awesome. So stuff, the stuff you forward. do. You meet yeah. friends. You treat them good, Tony. Treat people nice. That's right. And it comes around. Oh, yeah. It really does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I sometimes I just I wonder why you weren't treated uh, nicer than you were in the But it WWE. all ended up in a good spot. Yeah, it sure did. You're See, right. The bottom You're line exactly is right. that where am I today? I'm happy. Yay. I'm happy. That's I want, I want to be here, and I want to help these young guys and play it forward. And I know that you and I have fun with Excalibur. People think we're picking on him. Yeah. We're not picking on Excalibur. No, we're not. You guys have the greatest chemistry. We have good. We have fun. I love it. And mm. look, we're not doing golf. No. Right. Uh, you know, we're not doing, you know, we're just doing like drunk cricket or something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Well, you, you've done NFL. I mean, you said XFL. You 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 were on the Atlanta Falcons broadcast. Mm-hmm. That, that that was a lot of fun, I know, WSB. Love doing football. Yeah. Work with uh, Bill Rosinski and Jeff Van Note. Yeah. On those guys. broadcasts, yeah. We had a lot of fun. Flying on a team plane. Right. Absolutely. You know, learned a lot about society on that plane. Right. Race, racial relations right. on that plane. Sure. It was interesting. Yeah. Part of the life, the, being able to do things like that helped me have a better life, Tony, hmm. Aubrey. He put me in a position to have these experiences that are I can't replicate. Right. Hmm. Hey, I still get off going to do a, throw out a minor league baseball, minor league games where I do, throw out the first pitch. Sure. Because I always throw a knuckleball. <laughs> I do. And, and they'll, they'll look at it like you're crazy, you know, because it's just, just wobbling through the air. It's like 10 miles an hour, you know. Right. But it's little things like that. Right. Having a ballpark hot dog. That's kind of cool for me. Right. You also, uh, you collect wrestling memorabilia? You have some you have some yeah, prize here, here's things? Some, yeah, I got a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I had two restaurants at one time that had memorabilia as the theme. Right. So I called on all my old friends and acquaintances and peers and coworkers, et cetera, et cetera, asking for a donation, so to speak. Or, mm-hmm. So like I got Ric Flair, a pair of Ric Flair's red patent leather boots. Oof. I got uh, uh, Rock's boots. I got you know Undertaker's entire outfits, including shoes and gloves from WrestleMania. You know, wow. Plus all my Mickey Mantle stuff. Right. John Wayne stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sopranos. Right. Jan was a great collector. Right. And she knew I loved Mantle and uh, uh, John Wayne. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I got, I got a lot of that stuff. You got John Wayne uh, cufflinks. Three pair of them. Right. I've wow. Three pair of John Wayne cufflinks. Yeah. His last cigarette lighter. Wow. And uh, his letter opener. Right. His last hair piece. Wow. What? And, and I saw a picture on Twitter the other day of him <laughs> in the movie uh, she, uh, she Wore a Yellow Ribbon. Right. Right. That hat he's wearing in most of his pictures, the bill turned up in the front. I own that, too. Wow. Whoa. Oh, very cool. 
So I don't know what my kids are going to do with it when I'm gone, but right. it'll be a nice fight. Yeah, well, it, it'll be it'll be great. Listen, uh, thanks, buddy. It's always oh, great talking Jerry. to you. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy the catering. The green room was wonderful. <laughs> That's right. It's a great my place to be. My ride over was terrific. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, JR has been with us. Uh, this is the AEW uh, Unrestricted Podcast. There you go. What yeah. the hell? You can uh, subscribe to our podcast for free wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget, AEW Dynamite is on TNT, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central Time, each and every Wednesday. JR and I and uh, Excalibur will be on there. And this lady right here, hell of a referee, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, she does a great job. I great just job. yell at dudes. Okay. So I'm Tony Schiavone for JR. Aubrey Edwards. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. To our podcast.